All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Can you see it? Did you notice? Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! Moments notice, at arm's length. To the line, Hughes, Jones! In this existence, take you to listen. First career NHL goal, Quinn Hughes makes it 1 0. You're listening to Canucks Conversation. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. A member of the Nation Network podcast and delivered by DoorDash. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in and down. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off-air. Let's go. What's going on? Welcome back to another episode show of the Canucks Conversation. Either or, I like to call it episode. We're talking about a show here live on YouTube as well. My name is Chris Faber. Joining me here on Fridays, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. And I tell you what, I got a special one today to show off. Because you saw me adding to the collection before uh, Harm. I almost called you Quads. Uh, adding to the collection here before because I'm getting closer to the 151. Shout out to the great folks at Zephyr Epic. And because this is a green card, it looks crazy. The Pinsir, the Jungle Edition Pokemon card, adding it to the set right after this. But we are here, the Canucks conversation. Now, I tell you what, we like to screw around on the show off the top. Sometimes I go for 15 minutes talking about whatever. We're not going to do it today. We have so much to get to, and I think we've learned from past episodes here, Harm. that You and I, we seem to go over time too much on these, and it's funny because we don't ever get to that thing on the ticker. But I do want to mention the person who loves the ticker, our producer, Aaron, Nation Network Aaron filling in today for Alex, who's on vacation, enjoying some time with his family. So we're happy he gets that. But we're also here to talk about a lot of stuff going on with the Vancouver Canucks. First, one piece of business to handle. Montana's. Bring it up. 
Bring back the viewing party to Montana's daily deals. We've been home during the pandemic and lost out on the good times going out with friends. Montana's is bringing back the viewing party harm. Head down to Montana's where the game is always on and the daily deals keep you full. Monday, half price wings. Tuesday, kids eat for $2. Wednesday, all you can eat ribs. And they got that new comfort menu out there. It is just beautiful. We've crushed the spinach dip in the past. We're going to be out on Mon- uh, at Montana's, I think, in about uh, two weeks' time as well. So uh, Quads and I are going to go crush Montana's. Maybe we'll we'll bring you along. You're yeah. a Montana's guy. You like a good spin dip. What's your favorite appetizer of all time? Like, you're going out, and it's just like, listen, I'm not going out to have drinks all night. I'm going out to just, like, get a couple appies and just have a good time. Mm. What's the one that you love to see on a menu? I'm actually more of a main course type of guy. I'm oh. not a huge appy guy, but really? if I'm going for appy, any type of anything related to like good quality bread with with a good dip, like mm. spin, like Earl's uh, spinach dip. Yep, that's always a classic go to. Um, so with spin dip, you said bread. You're like a pita bread guy instead of chips because there's the option for chips. Spin dip, you're going with like a bread I'm or not like picky. a pita. I'm not picky, but I, I like uh, I like a good quality bread. That's what we did at Montana's when we did the spinach dip. We did half, uh, half and half, half like the pita corners and mm-hmm. half of uh, the chips because I like a little smart, bit of either or. Yeah, let's get to it. We got a lot to get to. A lot of stuff today, Harm. Uh, we were both at the rink. We were both there for the Bruce Boudreaux availability. And I tell you what, I mean, we all know this. This is this is the end of Bruce Boudreaux is what it feels like. Um, there were some questions today about him being able to kind of take in the back-to-backs here as there's a lot of rumors that Rick Tockett is going to be taking over this Canucks coaching staff as of Monday. Listen, it's not set in stone yet, but you could kind of hear it from the vibe today. Bruce was also uh, not on the the ice for morning skate today. We'll get the audio up here that I thought was pretty funny uh, of Bruce saying that he fooled us. Um, So we'll get that. You can get that set for us, Aaron. But it was kind of funny, you know, some smiles absolutely in the conversation with Bruce this morning, Um, but also some emotion as well as, I don't know, it's... It's a spot that's difficult for him because he's been around this game for a long time. He's not getting any younger. He's had an opportunity to coach all around the league. He's still a great coach in a lot of people's eyes. Uh, it's just difficult here. But I want to quickly play just just something fun that we had with Bruce right off the top. Uh, as he came out and said that he fooled us. Um, as he didn't take, like I said, he wasn't on the ice for morning skate today. Here's, uh, here's how it started today uh, in the media availability with Bruce Boudreaux. Fooled you, eh? <laughs> I mean, still to be able to have a smile on this guy's face with what he's been going through, uh, what this organization has done to him, it shocks me. It's beyond me how how he's still able to come out and have a smile on his face. We saw a little bit of that today. Yeah, and when he started getting questions about what could this next couple days mean for him, potentially his last couple coaching the Canucks, you could tell that the emotion was really starting to become overwhelming. The initial thought of him just looking at how much the game has given him, him thinking about even towards the end when he was asked uh, specifically about like what it all means. He like couldn't, he was, he was choking up and he's like uh, politely had to end the availability for him to see someone like Bruce Boudreaux, a gem of a human being, and throughout this entire time, he hasn't thrown anybody under the bus. No, he's handled it with pure class. To see him treated this way, one of the most, one of the winningest head coaches of all time, it's such a shame. It's so disappointing. I mean, think about where this organization was at about 13 months ago when he took over behind the bench. This organization was in, in the exact tire fire position they are today, and he was able to bring in a fresh air of positivity. He was able to instantly turn around the vibes. He was able to help Elias Pettersson find his game again. Right? That that alone was huge. He was able to get... We saw an evolution with Hughes and Pettersson where Boudreaux gave these guys an opportunity, opportunity to embrace defensive responsibilities, to be out there defending leads, to be out there killing penalties. And, and that whole Bruce, there it is, run. It's just so... For me, stepping back and looking at the situation, seeing a man that positive, with that many good vibes, with that much regular season success, for him to be, for him to over the last couple months look like a shell of the man that he is today, look so beat down, look so tired, look so worn out, be treated this way, that just tells you what it's like to be a part of the organization right now. And it's it's so incredibly 
sad to see him go through this. Like, it's really, really tough, especially because, like, think about it from Boudreaux's perspective. Given his age, he may not get another head coaching opportunity in the NHL again. Yeah. For it to end on this note, for him to be publicly embarrassed, for for him to be coaching for weeks, knowing that he's going to be replaced, that the replacement has already been lined up, to have that all publicly confirmed. Because it's one thing to, in the back of your mind, know that, all right, I'm probably going to be let go at, at, at some point. But this is a step further. I don't think I've ever seen a situation where you have a president of Hockey Ops saying, yeah, I'm talking to potential replacements for my active head coach. And I have been for two months, he said. Exactly. That's what Rutherford said on Monday. We we haven't talked, you and I, here on the show since that, so we'll get to that later on in the show as well. I just thought that to add to what you're saying, you're right. There's a different situation where, listen, the the president coming out and saying that they don't like the structure of, of, of the team and everything, yeah, that's, that, one that's one thing. You're right, but to yeah, to openly hear... You know, I've seen a lot of people talk about this. I don't think that they can ever mention another moment where a president or a GM or somebody in that type of role has openly said they've been having conversations with replace. The question that was asked of Rutherford that day was about talking to replacement head coaches. And he openly gave an answer that was honest. That's something that Jim Rutherford we see has done. And I want to get to the quote that you, you tweeted this quote out, but I just found that the way it ended there with Bruce today too was was a little difficult as well. Some, you know, he was emotional. I thought he was, you know, Bruce was able to. He's on the verge of tears. Yeah, he was able to in consent his emotions and leave the media availability by not talking much about the situation about being an NHL head coach. But you could just feel that the question there at the end was, you know, there's a couple of ones. I think Drance asked about, are you able to kind of look at these back to back games? He wasn't able to, uh, and that's the question. That's the quote that we'll get to in just a minute here. But also at the end, just to kind of, you know, that was that was a tough moment for him at the end there, and it's because of how this organization has treated him. And we, he was asked about it just earlier this week, like, do you think the the organization has treated you fairly? And he's saying, yes, you're right. Like he didn't want to throw anyone under the bus. It's like he said. So difficult one. Also, I want to play the quote. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, the other thing I'll say is I understand why management wants to. Make the change, of course. They want to bring their own sure, guy in. Yeah. Boudreaux wasn't their, really their guy. This was an, mostly an ownership hire. But if you know you're going to make that change, this should have happened right away. As soon as you knew you were done with Bruce as a head coach, right? Whether it would have been late October, November, December. Even if you don't have a replacement lined up, just let let him go. Don't Don't drag him out through this process. Don't let him... Walk into the building every morning. Morning. Imagine you were in that situation. You're having having to coach this team and put your heart. How do you put your heart and soul into coaching a team, literally knowing that you're going to be fired any day? Like there's zero hope. There's zero chance. It's a near impossible task. They should have let him go early. Let Mike Yo take over as an interim, and then whenever they can find the replacement, whether it's Rick Tockett or somebody else. Whenever it makes sense, then you sort of make that change. This is such a weird in-between period to kind of do it as well. I don't right. mean to go off into tangent here, but you're at a point now where you're making this coaching change where it's too early, it's too late to save the season, and it feels too early to where you wonder if it's going to ruin the tank. Mm. Like I understand the rationale of you want to bring in a guy like Rick Tockett. Let him implement his systems. Let him start building that culture. You don't need more than 10, 10 to 15 games to start establishing that. Why do you need... There's how many games left on the schedule? Probably 30, maybe more. There's a huge chunk of the season left. And we all know that you sometimes see the the co- the, the big coaching bump. We saw it with Boudreaux, right? You'll, you'll have teams go on this run, especially a team like the Canucks that still has despite where they are in the talent, a lot of pieces to work with. And so even from an organizational standpoint of making the change, there's nothing in this process that has made any sense any sense to me. And you can rest assured that everybody around the league knows how Boudreaux is being treated, yep. knows and sees all these headlines about the Tanner Pearson And are hearing injury. more than us. We're hearing a lot for sure, and, and people have our sources, but these sources that people are talking to are coming from people in the league that are likely hearing more than us. So I think that our thought perception of how the treatment has gone of Boudreaux is one thing, 
because we're tying together what people are talking about. But these people that are actually talking about it to each other, they probably even know more than this. I mean, I found it interesting to hear Bruce talk about like his wife talking to him today, sending him texts like, are you okay? What's going on? Like, why aren't you on the ice? Like, it's... Also at a time when one of your other best soldiers, Bo Horvat, your Mm -hmm. captain, is on the way out. Yeah. Right? Like, that's happened concurrently. Two of the best people in the organization, and I get it, right? Like, at this point, you have to trade Horvat, but you didn't have to in the offseason if you had Miller. And it just... It's just so sad seeing two of the best people in the organization sort of like departing at a time of crisis. It's hard to find hope. Like it really is like, again, I'm a big guy on you want to find positivity. You want to find light at the end of the tunnel. But man, it's just, it feels like there's some drama, some controversy, something going wrong with this organization Um, every, every other day. I mean, how many times all these national insiders, like whether it's on their podcast shows, insider trading, whatever. The Canucks are a daily talking point. Yep. Off the and top of the show. And it's, you know, like you don't want to be in that position where the whole league's talking about you day in and day out for negative reasons. There was there was a time where when Jim Benning was the GM, he had to give like an extra year and an extra million on top of every player that felt like it was coming here. Maybe that was a decision on his point, but the way that the league is going to look at this Vancouver Canucks organization for how much... Bo Horvat has carried water for this team. How much Bruce Boudreaux has had to deal with this team. Think of all the stuff that Travis Green had to go through as a head coach. How much he had to answer for this organization. He was having to explain all the Jake for Tannen stuff. It's why, so why would when anybody want coach, to... Nobody else took accountability for that. You said this last week on the show that this used to be a destination. Now it's the complete opposite of that. Like, yeah. would... I mean, you have to, you can clearly make the argument of somebody who is just like... If all the offers are on the table, and it's a bunch of these bottom feeder teams, the Arizona Coyotes, uh, the Anaheim Ducks, all these teams that are near the bottom, the Chicago Blackhawks, everything that's going on with that organization, you have to put the Canucks in that group from how they've treated people in their organization. I ran into, uh, Drance and I ran into a couple players in the elevator after uh, after the skate, and uh, and we're like, oh, how are you doing? And uh, (laughs) and they're they're just sort of like a... Uh, like, eh, like, like one of those moments where you just know and, and everybody just, start, just starts laughing. Yeah, like nothing needs situation. to be said in those situations. You yeah. know what's going on. Can so, we, we'll get to the audio because I thought that this kind yeah. of sums it all up. Um, and this is something you tweeted out. Let's just hear the audio from Bruce Boudreaux talking about, listen, I'd be a fool not to know what's going on. Go ahead, hit it, Aaron. I don't know yet. I really, you know, I mean, I'd be a fool not to say that I don't know what's going on, but uh, um, I just, like I said before, you come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. No. Yeah, and that's kind of where Bruce got emotional about it was, I think it, my view of it was he realized, like, where he at. Like, it is, he'd be a fool not to know what's going on. He knows what's going on here. And it's just, it's because of the treatment of him that's just been so incredibly disappointing for anybody who probably follows this team, for us who cover this team, everybody around the Vancouver Canucks. You should be disappointed, I think. Not only with it's, how the play's been on the ice, but how everything around the play, I think the the stuff off the ice has been more disappointing than what we've seen on the ice this year. And that's saying a lot because this is a bad team. It's also surprising to me because when Jim Rutherford came in, considering his experience, considering his leadership, considering... All the winning that he'd done, the successful organizations he had been a part of and how they'd effectively been able to hit the reset button where you bring in a whole new front office, you bring in a whole new coaching staff. I I would have never imagined a year ago that we'd be in this position again, mm-hmm. right? I, I would have figured that at least you'll have a baseline level of competency, of professionalism uh, with the way that you treat other people. and uh, And I think that's what... I think that's what's uh, most disappointing and most surprising is I actually thought that they were headed in the right direction. Yeah. I, I legitimately There was a thought, lot said that would make you think that. 100%. And a lot of the initial things that they were saying, a lot of the people that they brought in, there was a lot of reason to be a lot of reasons to be positive. Uh, especially after uh, after the second half run that they went on and uh I I just I can't wrap my head around how an organization led by someone as respected and as accomplished as experienced as well. Hockey Hall of Famer, yeah. 
is uh is is going down this path. Yeah, lots of uh, comments coming in here to the YouTube. Lisa says they broke him a big double middle fingers to the ownership and the GM of the Canucks for this situation. Um, Dakota says an amazing human. Uh, Jeffro said Rutherford should have been canned or should have canned him right before that six fifty interview. You know that's kind of where the public stuff that we heard from you know upper management kind of started to come out of Bruce Boudreaux. But something you said was so like I know we kind of I didn't I kind of glazed over it when you said it, but look at what he did last year. For Elias Patterson, for Quinn Hughes, to get these guys on the penalty kill, get these guys' confidence back up. And I saw, I think Corey had it in the chat there, that yes, the injury probably played a, a good part into that as well with, with Elias Patterson kind of, of course, getting back yeah. his groove. Definitely. But have we seen the best Elias Patterson of his career under Bruce Boudreaux, right? Like, yeah. I, I, I and think he, the argument like, could be there. The, the other thing to keep in mind is Patterson... He he really wanted that kind of defensive responsibility to be recognized as, okay, I'm an all-around center. I'm not just a guy who can put up a lot of points. Mm. And so psychologically, that's one thing I, th- one thing Pedersen, I think really appreciated was, Hey, I've gotten a chance on the penalty kill to play shorthanded to c- contribute in ways where I think in the first half of the season, part of the problem too was, okay. It was like Pedersen's not scoring. And I think when a player is struggling and they don't have the offense come to them, they at least want to feel like they're helping in other ways, mm. right? Whether it's shutting down the opposition's best players, playing a matchup role, killing penalties, adding defensive value, winning a lot of faceoffs, like whatever it is, they want to feel like they're helping the cause, at least making progress. And when you do contribute in those other areas, that can at least start feeding confidence to your offense sometimes. And I think that was that that helped kickstart the process of him kind of regaining his confidence again i'm not saying this is all boudreau obviously no but it's a coach has a big piece in that a huge part in that for a player i got some more comments i want to get to chats blowing up right now i'd love to see it Corey says ev40 is also getting better on the draw he's going to be even more of a force than he is right now uh shay says this is the hardest it's been to be a fan and i've been a fan since the early 90s that's including the he who must not be named years who Mm -hmm. i think we named earlier in the show uh and then as well who do we got here bryce says should we hire a banner airplane that says sorry bruce feels like it's fans versus ownership and management at this point and dakota says the owner isn't competent how could you expect this to go well i think tonight there will be something because of all of this coming out and now yeah. seeing the video of bruce boudreau be on the national media like tim and sid and sports i've yeah. seen that tweet going around like crazy it's blowing up like wildfire I think there'll be something tonight. I really Bruce. hope so. And I, and, I really and think there will. will. Th- yeah, this, absolutely. This fan base uh, always comes through. And it, I mean, this is a bit of a, a side topic, but against Tampa and Stamco scored his 500th to see, to see Canucks fans recognize that sort of history and, and be that classy at a time when so many things have gone wrong for the Canucks. And it's easy to be negative as a fan, to be able to appreciate and recognize greatness that was awesome. And to see, and then you also saw John Cooper, mm-hmm. BC boy, uh, appreciating Canucks fans and, and saying like, this is why, this is why they're a respected fan base. This is why they're a respected market. And, you know, Vancouver gets a bad rep sometimes in terms of being, oh, are they toxic fan base, too negative? Oh, Canucks Twitter's crazy. And yeah, there's that element, but sure. that's honestly born out of the negativity of the on ice product and what like the lack of success. I mean, do you remember the bubble? Yeah. Honestly seeing the bubble. And this was when the team wasn't even in Vancouver. This was happening in Edmonton. So you didn't even get to get the full playoff experience, but being able to cover that playoff series, even remotely and seeing all the positivity and all the support, it was as if, you know, connects Twitter can be, really divided at times, but to see everyone sort of come together, like that's, that's a memory in terms of my career that I'm never going to forget in terms of seeing the way the, that the fans got behind uh, this city. And even in, in little moments like, um, you know, the second half run, all the Bruce, there it is. This fan base will cling on to positivity. And that's why I'm, I'm confident that they're going to come through and, and, and send, and send Bruce off the right way. If the, if the fan base is in the same direction together, it's like a it's a incredibly powerful force. Canucks yeah. fan base can be the Twitter can be, but I mean, for the longest time with the Jim Benning years, obviously people were very split. Um, some people were very against the stuff right off the top. Some people also 
were very pro Jim Benning at the start and ended up turning on him near the mm. end of it. You're right. Think about the moment in the bubble with uh, with Troy Stetcher scoring just after his father passed. How incredible the fan base was in support for him. Scott Rhodes sellies. Um, Chris Tanev scoring the overtime goal to get them in. Like, you're right. I just think Canucks Twitter, we see it. You know, not even Twitter, like YouTube. Everybody who's in here in the chat, everybody's listening to this podcast. When it, when Canucks fans are together on something, it's one of the most powerful fan bases in hockey, for sure. I don't want to say, like, in sports. Like, it's not like, like you know, Canucks fans, like, the Twitter's great, but I don't think it rivals, like, what Bill's Mafia is all about, that type of thing. But just how engaged everybody wants to be in this team going in the right direction or even being engaged in going in the same direction because there are certain people that still just want the Canucks to like push for the playoffs this year. And some, there will be a, a handful of people out there or a handful of the percentage of fans that are going to be like, Hey, Rick talk, it's going to fix this. this I year. don't think so. Right. I mean, th- there are always a few, but sure. The, the, the big thing with this fan base too, is th- they don't, the bar, the expectation, what this fan base wants isn't even that high right now. They just want sure, hope. Yeah, you're right. They don't want a quick turnaround. They don't need this team to be contending for a Stanley Cup within two or three years. What they want is at least a sense of we're headed in the right direction for once. Heading in a direction. In a competent direction. Yeah, let's get to a couple more here, and then we'll move on to, to Bo Horvat. Uh, Bryce has got a good one. What's worse, Canucks Twitter being separated or Canucks Twitter joining together despite the franchise? <laughs> At least we're all together, I guess, on that one. And Dakota says, as bad as the team is, it's hardwired to cheer for them, thick and thin, but it's so depressing. Yeah, it'd be a lot of fun to be just seeing this team going in the right direction. And it's like now there needs to be so many decisions to get to that point. One of those decisions looks like it's going to be trading Bo Horvat. So let's move into that a little I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST. And up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. But um, some more news coming out today. A lot more rumors that were dropped on the 32 Thoughts podcast. Um, we also heard Frank Valley on the lease report talking about it. We have a clip that we'll get to in just a second uh, from Frank Valley. But let's get to some of the teams that are interested from what we've heard from rumors. This has been out there from Frank, from Rick Dollywall, from a lot of people out there. Talking about these teams, the Carolina Hurricanes, the Detroit Red Wings, the Seattle Kraken have been one that's popped up a lot lately. The New Jersey Devils are involved. The Boston Bruins, the Colorado Avalanche, and Minnesota Wild, all teams that could be involved in a trade. This could be done very soon. I do want to play the clip here of Frank Valley talking about how quick this deal could happen. The Canucks have five more games here before the All-Star break. Let's run the click, uh, the video here of Frank Valley talking about how quick this deal might get done. So Horvat, O'Reilly, Tarasenko, Chikrin, Meyer, some of the bigger names. Uh, in your opinion, I'll put you on the spot. Who moves first? Horvat. Uh, I think there's a real chance Horvat is traded before the All-Star break. So interesting kind of update as well from some of those teams that we mentioned that could be interested. Um, I think it was last night. Max Pacioretty could have been two nights ago. Yeah, it was last um, night. Went down for the season, and the early return sounds like it's an Achilles thing. Could be very long-term for him out for the season. The Canes could be very much looking for a replacement with that money. Canes have some pieces. I think the Hurricanes are one of the front runners for Bo Horvat in this situation. 
Um, they have some prospects that would make sense. They have some draft picks that make sense. They have an extra second round pick in next year's deal. They have some of those young players, but harm. One of the names that I'd like to get your opinion on that I've seen out there a little bit, and we talked a little bit before the show about this, so I know which way you're probably going to go, but just Sperry Kotkaniemi is one of those players who he's locked up long-term, but here's the thing, and I'm not saying it's the right move because I want to hear your thoughts on it, but he is one of those players who's 26 and under and maybe hasn't worked out with a team out of his ELC. Is that the type of player that... Here's here's the question. I'll ask it in two parts. Yeah. No, I'm just going to ask it in one part. Is that the type of player, do you think, that this management group, because they've talked about it, is looking to target in a Bo Horvat trade here? Yeah, that's my worry. Mm-hmm. Is he fits a sort of profile, right? High pedigree in terms of being uh, a top three pick uh, not too long ago. He showed some, so showed some flashes in Montreal uh, the year that the Canadians went to... Uh, the final, he uh, he really came alive there. He's tall, he's lanky. 22. Pretty smart defensively. Signed until 2030. Yeah, cost controlled. So for all those reasons, especially because of the Canucks' immediate need to find a centerman. Retool versus rebuild type of thing. Retool, yeah. And, and especially because of how hard it is to find players up the middle, I would be a little bit... Uh, you know, I, I do wonder if he's the sort of player that would uh, intrigue management. I I hope they don't go down this direction because, look, is there a world where Kotkaniemi can be an effective middle six center? Absolutely. Sure. But I just don't think that there's enough upside there, especially when you consider the contract that he signed for. You're talking about $4.8 million for the next uh, for the next eight years. What if he's not... A top six centerman. Right. Like that, you're adding another expensive contract uh, contract to the books for a guy who has 16 points in in, uh, in 45 games. He had only had 29 points in 66 games last season. Now, again, I think there's room for growth there. Sure. He scored there's, five goals in the, in the All-Canada division. Five yeah. goals in 56 games. Yeah, so I... And listen, he was 20 at the time. There's Like we said, he is, it's just, I, I'm not saying he's, like, I think the Canucks need to go with the youngest options and also more, if you're going to actually target a player type, make it a defenseman. I don't even care if it's a right shot defenseman. Target a defenseman. There's It's 2023, you can start to have defense and play their offside if that's the way. I look at this situation with Ken Yemi and I think, it's like he can't be the major piece that you get back for Horvat. He can't be. Well, also, for me, mainly it's the contract. It's like how many high, high, highly paid forwards can you have, right? Right. At a certain point, what you need to win is efficiency. Mm. It isn't just acquiring good players. It's how well do these players perform? How much value do they add relative to the cap hits that they're on? Because if you have a bunch of good players who are paid market value or slightly above, like the Canucks do, you're not going to have enough cap space to address all of your roster weaknesses, right? That's why you look at a team like Colorado when they when they win the Stanley Cup. It's like they had McKinnon under seven million, right? One of the best centers in the game under seven million dollars. They had Bowen Byram, who led their team in five on five ice time in the Stanley Cup final on his entry level contract, leading the Blue Line in five on five minutes. You look at the uh, contract that uh, Devon Taves was on, an absolute steal. I'm I'm trying to pull up the exact yep. uh, exact cap hit now. Four point one million dollars for a top pair defenseman. Yeah, like you're talking about Valerie Nichushkin, an absolute beast in the playoffs. What was like? He was making pocket change, right? Yep. Absolutely. Um, acquired at the deadline, making pocket change. So you look at the uh, the contracts that they had. Even Kadri, he was he scored eighty seven points in seventy one games. Um, it was the last year of his deal where he was making he wasn't making that that uh, that much money, and when I look at the Canucks, the biggest problem that I see in terms of this retool and and this idea of how do you contend is I don't see where you're going to find hyper efficient contracts because mm. even your best players, Elias Pettersson, is going to be due for his massive pay raise in two years. He's not going to be on the McKinnon like. Under seven million sweetheart contract. Um, yeah. JT Miller's already at eight million. Connor Garland and Brock Besser are on inefficient 
big ticket contracts. Ilya Mikheyev, he's probably been worth the worth his contract this season. He's just under five million. So you're going to tack on a, like Kuzmenko is one of your most efficient deals right now. What you're going to resign him on a bridge for around six million, and then what you're also going to bring in Kotkaniemi for a shade under. Um, How are you going to rebuild million? your defense core? Doing exactly. That. I think that's the question. That's the so huge I hope question. not. I mean, I'm not like to be very clear. I'm not trying to like preemptively rip into management, right? Because look, I, I don't know exactly how they feel about Kakanyemi. Sure. I just hope that that's not the direction they're leaning in. Look, if Kakanyemi was in this situation, except it's like he's 2021 20, and he's off uh, on his ELC and he's going to be cheap to resign. Yeah. Then you go, okay, like why not? Mm-hmm. Right? Like why not have him be one of the pieces that you target? But I, I, it does worry me. Under five million dollars, though, for a guy who's going to play three C for you. I mean, it's not the craziest idea. You have it's this not. for a long time, but here's the here's the problem that I worry about. It's is, not that it's a. Let, let me clarify. It's this not that it's a bad. It's not that it's yeah. a bad contract. It's just that you can only have so many. Like you, you can't keep paying market value for everybody. You can't mm. just go. You know, that's a fine contract. That's an okay contract. You need deals. Like when you acquire a player back in a Horvat uh, in a Horvat uh, trade, what you need is the sort of player that you that you go that you, that you acquire and say, okay, he's in the future. He's going to be a core building block piece, and he's going to do it when he's on his entry entry level contract, or he's going to do it when he's super cheap, when he's hyper efficient, as opposed to well, he's already market value, right? Right, because again, if, if he fulfills his potential, like that might may not end up being a bad contract. No, that's that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like I can see this being. Listen, he's locked for eight years at under five. This feels like a one of those deals where we say, hey, maybe the Canucks need to take a risk on a guy. Not even necessarily a risk, but kind of this this contract feels a little bit riskier than it could be for Cockney, and that could go one of two ways. That could go good. That could go bad. I feel like the base that he's at right now, you'd think it's kind of bad, but if he's scoring. 20 plus goals and winning a good amount of face-offs, being on the penalty kill, doing certain things for you. But it's like he's not doing all that now. So you have to ask a lot of what his game already is to get him to the point where you're starting to see value in it. But it is interesting because it's like, man, he's locked up for a long time. He's 22 years old. It's not like he's a bad NHL player. Of he's going not. to help an NHL he has team. Value. And even right now, like I know he's not blowing away his his contract, but it's not like he's a negative asset, I don't think either, right? Like you're not at that point. And I think with the contract, it's interesting to see because he's signed till he's 30. So it's like, you're getting all this prime under $5 million. The cap's going up quite a bit in the, in that term of the eight year contract. I mean, that, like it's, but at the same time, like here I am again, it's, trying to just find a positive way it, to like, spin it's also just here. like, it's like, I look at, it's fine in a vacuum, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is it doesn't make sense in the bigger picture scheme of, what this team needs. It's it's just like, for example, I look at Ilya Mikheyev, and I'm like, okay, on the balance, free agency-wise, that's actually not a bad contract. Sure, yeah. If you're a team in the right situation, 4.75 for Ilya Mikheyev, considering the offense that he's brought, considering the speed that he's brought, you're like, okay, that's not bad value. But it's the context of how does that contract fit with the other... The with all of the other money you have tied up in your forwards, the lack of cost certainty there, and more importantly, the fact that you're not in your window to win now. And here's what I here's what I would have to say from the organization of everything we know. And this is listen, I've talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks. Here, we have to judge the organization on what plans they're telling us. Kakaniemi is exactly in the plan that they've told us. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I I can seriously see them being. This is the type of player they want to target. I saw uh, Corey had a, a, a proposition out there. If you're getting Scotty Morrow in a deal with him, and let's say let's just say a second round pick, I don't think you're getting Kotkan Niemi Morrow and a first. So let's say you're getting Kotkan Niemi, Scotty Morrow, a second round pick in next year's draft in exchange for I'm going to say Bo Horvat, but I'm also going to say Aiden McDonough because I have a feeling. That when Horvat gets dealt, if it's a team like Carolina, Boston, Colorado, one of these teams that is in a contending now mode, I think the Canucks can gain a little bit of value by having McDonough in that deal. And I'm not 100% sure the Canucks are going to be able to sign McDonough. As much as he's going to be a prospect that will help them right now, 
I don't think the Canucks are 100% sure they're going to be able to get him. So I think having him in this trade, go to a team that he can contend with, I think that helps a little bit. Is that a deal you might look towards? Because you're getting the right D that you want, mm-hmm. but now you're taking that risk of Kanyemi, which I understand what you're saying. And listen, yeah. that's like a deal to me that, that I can see. And Corey yeah. brought it up. Shout out to Corey in the chat there for that one. Yeah, I mean, it's not bad value. No, it's. It, I think there's some there's some real I would potential need, for the I, value. I there. would. I would need to feel really confident in my scouts hmm. and in my hockey operations department. That About Moro or Kotkaniemi? Kotkaniemi. Uh, okay. Uh, I need to because Moro. I think we all we all know he's a decent prospect. He's only yep. a grade a grade prospect. He's a high B though. He's a I'd high say. B. He's got right shot with uh, with second pair upside if ever, if everything hits. Very offensive guy can move the puck very well. But there's also a chance that he maybe only ends up being a four five six. Yeah, I mean the the high end for him is a Tyson Berry type, right? Really off, high end. Very, yeah, I, I don't absolutely. think he, I don't think that's no no. I don't think he's becoming that. I think yeah. He, I think I, he's an NHL player. Yeah, I think he's an for, NHLer. Yes, yeah, I think he's an NHLer potentially after this season. Yeah. Um, he's also still very young. I think yeah. he's just twenty or even nineteen right now. So. He's a player you have to target in this deal, yeah. and you have to target him. Like I look at that trade, and I think there's more value in Moro than there is in Kanyemi in a trade, in my eyes. Probably, yeah. For in, certain teams, maybe not. For the Canucks, the position, I think and so. again, like this is where the contracts are different, right? If a guy like Moro were to come in and hit, and he's a top, uh, he's a top four righty, right? Like let's say second pair righty, sure. If, if he hits, he'd be doing that while he's on his ELC. Mm-hmm. And because a player like that, yeah, because he's with, not, so he has no deal. He has you can sign him. At the end of this season, and you'll have this the rest of the season and two more out on an ELC. Also, that's huge. When that's huge for sorry, that's huge for a rebuilding team. Yeah, a retool team. I don't know if it's as, as huge. Sort of. I, I guess still, you, no. You, you are, still yeah, need it. Like, listen, you, an ELC is an ELC. You're ELC like is an ELC. Contending teams need young players on ELCs. Right. So with with more the other interesting thing too is as an offensive guy, he may he may not immediately get the huge point totals right away, especially mm-hmm. when you have, have a guy like Quinn Hughes running the first power play unit. So you be, you may be in a spot where even after his ELC expires, it may not be that expensive to lock him up yeah. long, uh, long-term. long Even four-year type thing. Yeah, you're right. Exactly. So the point is you're going to get a lot of years where it's like this guy's cheap and he fits the most important position of need. Mm. Uh, but again, in terms of evaluating the proposal as a whole, look, I'm not... I haven't scouted caught Kenyemi every game that he's played since he's been in Carolina. I have, I have a, I have a good idea of what he is right now. I don't have a great idea of what are the odds that he's going to hit his potential. Has he hit a wall? And so that's where as an organization, you'd have to put a ton of research in because mm-hmm. if look, if you believe that he can be uh, a second line growing to being a second line centerman, if he's your one two, if you believe he's the two punch to your Elias Pettersson, then it's like okay, yeah, okay, that that intrigues you then mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but you'd have to be really confident about that. Yep, and I think it, you have to do a lot of different things. Where like, what does he look like with JT Miller as a winger? What does he look like with certain players as a winger that are gonna like? Listen, JT Miller's gonna be here for a long time. You got to like, think where he fits with a guy like that. So we'll move on from this one a little bit. Just kind of sticking with the Horvat situation, but just moving on from the Carolina stuff. Quick question, and then a long question for you, Harm. Five que- five games until the All-Star break. Back-to-backs tonight. A lot of rumors going around. Does Horvat sit this weekend? It's a good question. I think there is still... I, I don't think we're at that point yet mm. where they do that. I mean, I'll be honest. I don't know how the organization is viewing that right now. I've been too, too seriously sort of thought that through or asked around, poked around, whatever. They should be, in my opinion, if they think that they're going to get a deal done before the All-Star break. If they think there's a strong possibility of that, why not? Especially uh, when you um, when you have, like, he's so important as an asset, and these games oh. don't matter. Yeah. If anything, it helps you in in the t- in, uh, in what's going on with the tank. Yep. But... Yeah, I didn't even think of that, but it definitely does. But yeah, so... So five games, five games until the All-Star. I'd be a little surprised. I mean, could you get to the point where it's like next week? For sure. Things are really heating up and things and a trade could be imminent and you're looking at, okay, like, let's, let's send them out then. Like, that could be more realistic. I'd be a little surprised if that happens tonight, for example. But uh, we'll see. In ulti- like, in terms of what should they do, I think that's what they should do is protect the asset. Knowing Canuck luck, I wouldn't want to test that. Oh, There's God. nothing to be gained there. That's what's, what I'm worried like, about. 
he's already established established that he's on this elite goal scoring tear. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is there to gain from taking that risk? And we're not going to have a discussion about it because I do want to get to one more thing with you um, after the the Rutherford because this is our first time talking since the Rutherford thing. But I think we both agreed on this before the show. There is so much to gain here for this Canucks organization if they just allow other teams to talk to Horvat's camp about an extension. Oh yeah, that, it's massive. Yeah, that that's the other really sort of crucial factor that I was going to wonder about because look, some teams will only look at Horvat as a rental, but others, when you think about teams like uh, Detroit, mm. even Columbus, right, where they're not winning right now, but they probably need to speed things up with the way that they have Goudreau and Line in the fold. Mm-hmm. When you think about a team like, uh, like I bet Seattle, if they acquire him, they're not really in their cup contention window yet. So I'm sure that they, like them... Um, a team like uh, Boston, for example. Yep. A lot of these clubs would look at Horvat not just as a rental, yeah, but hey, can like we Seattle, we New Jersey him? are good examples, and they'd probably too, right? give up a, a lot more. Yeah, because in return, like a Colorado is a great example. I was having this conversation. The Avs are in town. My colleague Peter Peter Baugh covers the Athletic. He does great work. He does like, great work. At the Athletic. Peter he's does tap, he's tapped job. in with what the Avs are doing. Yeah. And I was asking him, like, okay, where do you think the Avs are at? What kind of value would they give up? You know, a piece like Newhook, where, where do they stand? And uh, and Peter's sort of thought was a lot of it just depends on whether the Avs think they can re-sign Horvat because they're not going to give up a guy like Newhook, for example, uh, in, in, in as part of a package for... Like, they're not going to back up the Brinks truck for a rental. Yep. They're just not positioned that way. But if they feel that they can re-sign him... They have a hole there. They have a hole there long-term. It's a fit. All of a sudden, you're willing to give up a lot more value. And... On the surface, it sounds like a no-brainer, right? Like, of course, but I don't think the Canucks have given teams permission to speak to Horvat's camp about, okay, what would an extension cost uh, cost yet? And I don't think, I think that was one of the, the holdups with the JT Miller trade too, was I don't think that they were willing to give up that permission then. And when you think about the Islanders deal falling apart at the draft table, which would have involved Miller, that's one of the first things that I wondered about was the Canucks did not, were not willing to, uh, to to sort of let teams talk about, about an extension. It's like, what do you what have to that? lose, man? I, I don't understand this. I, I well, like going exactly, but going back to the to the Islanders thing, to Islanders thing too. I, I wonder if that's the reason, one of the reasons why that deal fell apart. Yep, I I have to imagine it would be. It would. It definitely can't hurt the deal. Right, yeah. that's what I think. The only way I think this hurts your organization is is actually the situation to play with Miller. If you want to re-sign him, you don't want to see what other teams would be willing to sign him when he knows free yeah. Exactly. So, but with Horvat, listen, that like Jim Rutherford said, their their offers out there, it's below market value. He's clearly, you know, the organization understands it, the agent understands it, Horvat understands it. What what do you have to lose to let other teams talk though? Right. Yeah, I, don't I know. think it's crazy. Kate, I want to do a little bit of overtime stuff because I want I want to talk Kuzmenko with you. Yeah, so I'm going to do Betway now. Let's get the Betway up. Uh, we're going to do this nice and quick here for the Betway, and then I want to just do it Kuzmenko. We're doing a little overtime today, uh, Aaron. You can talk to the folks. Get Nation Network to, to buck up for this OT for you. But uh, let's get Betway up there uh, real quick. Our bets of the day: Elias Patterson or JT Miller to score a goal minus one eighty eight over on Betway. $10 bet, return you fifteen thirty-three. Uh, we like our either ors for hitting with that. And then tonight, we're rocking with the Avalanche winning over 6.5 total goals in this game. And Miko Rantanen scoring that at plus 375 over on Betway. Please play responsibly. Must be 19 of 19 years of age or older. Now, overtime. Andre Kuzmenko. There's a lot of talk about him this week. We've been on this show talking a lot about, listen, the value is going to be massive. I think... It's going to be at a level where I think a lot of people don't don't realize that I think in my eyes looking at past trade deadlines, and I understand it's a different situation because he's a guy coming over from the KHL, doesn't have the long proven history in the NHL or has playoff experience in the NHL. I'm still very set on because of the cap value, because what he can bring offensively to a team, this is a guy who's returning you a first round pick plus. What do you think when I say that? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if you get if you could get a late first for him in uh, in a potential deal. The the other thing that I just keep realizing now is uh, my and this is obviously you know a bit a bit of a I'm you know we're talking about Kuzmenko. I want to quickly mention with Luke Shen, mm. I'm 
warming up more and more to the idea of, like in my mind, I was thinking first, my initial thought was with Luke Shen, because we've had this conversation on the show before, where we look at Shen and go, you're expecting a third, and if you get a second, you're happy with it. You take it. Right. Now, I'm, I'm almost at a position where I think there's a narrative out there in NHL circles where, like, first, let me clarify. The reason why I didn't think that initially that Shen could net this huge haul was because I was thinking, like, teams aren't going to look, look at him as a top four guy. Mm. And I still don't think teams would view him that way. But I think there's such an emphasis in the league today. That there's such a strong narrative of... Look at Tampa's D and Chernak and McDonough and Hedman and how big they are. Look at Montreal's top uh, uh, top four D when they made it to the cup final with Sherrod and Weber and Edmondson. Sorry, before you go any further, it's, it's exactly what you just said there. Teams that get to the cup final, teams that do well in the playoffs, that's where the size comes in. That's right. what you're saying. Yeah, so I wonder if there's a strong enough narrative that even if teams don't believe in Shen as a top four defenseman necessarily... To where I'm almost thinking like, and I don't want to get Canucks fans' hope, hopes up too much. I know where you're going. You've been setting it up for like three minutes. I know, Just say I know. it, Harm. I'm at the point where I'm like, I, I'm expecting a second round pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if he could, if he could get a first. There it is. She took you long enough to get it up. I, I had to preface it the right way. Okay. Fair enough. I... There you go. There's I'm some positivity. Still, yeah, look at that. A good way to end the show on that. But we didn't even touch on the... Cause I... Could, we'll you, ima- Kismet, uh, in a could you imagine if you, this is why you should rebuild. Oh man. Right? Uh, yeah. My rebuild. Goodness. Can you imagine if you walk, uh, walk out of this, uh, walk, walk away from this deadline, having acquired three first round picks plus whatever secondary pieces you could, uh, you could have, uh, you could get for, uh, for, for Horvat. Do you know how much excitement that would put in the fan base to look at that? Look at what it did to the Canadians on their draft day in Montreal of adding similar things like, yeah. and then being able to, and quads has mentioned this before. Hey, you're looking for that type of, 20-year-old player that hasn't worked out as great on their contract. That's not going to excite fans. No, but much. like, no, but Doc, that's what, oh, you know, yeah. you have those first-round picks. Okay, then you make a trade for a guy like Kirby Doc. And now yeah. you're like, wow, we've got this center who we really project to be a 2C in the future. Yeah. You can't do that with a, a 25-year-old that you traded Luke Shen for. You can't trade, yeah. flip that guy for that. So, like, that's what I think is so crazy. It's the monetizing the value is is lost so much it's like if you were in my eyes like trading for picks is like trading for american dollar and then if you want to trade for a 24 year old it's like trading for a canadian dollar where it's like listen you're getting a dollar in the end but you're getting a much worse dollar value wise than you are if you actually just go with a draft pick because a draft pick and you can tell a person that draft pick is going to be anything runs king yeah and it's we've seen i actually seen there's been a good discussion in the chat that i haven't really brought up much but it's talking about Listen, it was it was I think during the Kanyemi thing that we were saying was like, hey, you, you know, he could be a three C if you end up drafting a two two C moving forward. If you get a Leo Carlson or you get one of these guys in the top five, like yeah, exactly, like that's what a draft pick can turn into. And it's just, I, I look like the retool and the rebuild thing. I want to get to Kuzmenko with you a little bit, but I, I sorry, I just yeah, think I totally that tanked the, the Kuzmenko. I know, but the twenty six and under thing, we've been stuck on it for a long time. He's and twenty seven, Jim, let him go. That's He's the twenty six and under. That's the other thing with Kuzmenko. It's like even in this retool world that we've heard about from Jim Rutherford, they've said they want to add players twenty six and under. Kuzmenko isn't twenty six and under, but you know what he can do? He can get you players that are twenty six and under. He can get you a bunch of them. He can get you. Uh, not a but he can get you multiple ones he can get you one very good high-end one so then you are even adding into this this realm of what you've talked about of 26 and under i love kuzmenko i think he's like the the most fun guy to do have i had the most fun with him out of every player this season in media availabilities absolutely and it's not even close he's been my favorite guy to do a post game with a, a post practice with anything I ask him a question about the the black skate jersey. He goes off about how he's been playing it on Xbox for 10 years. And that's his jersey of choice. Like, I love this guy. I love talking to him in media. But I understand what this team needs to be good down the road is not a 27, 28, 29, 30-year-old Kuzmenko. It's building that into either a prospect or monetizing that pick to do something else with, to be in the younger area there. So I'm, I'm 1,000% in the camp of... As much as I love Kuzmenko, he's got to be moved for this asset that's actually going to fit into what the plan that your direction is from Jim Rutherford was that he told us earlier this week. And it's 
I hope you're not going to disagree with me because I have no time for it. Harm. Yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've long been in the camp of uh, trade Kuzmenko. Do you, where do you think the value is? Because I've heard people say a second um, from around the league type of situation mm-hmm. that I've heard from. I'm still in the camp of, man, I made the comparables to seeing what some players were getting last season at that trade deadline. And Kuzmenko is blowing all of these first-round picks out of the water with what he can bring and his cap hit as well. Well, you got to be careful, though, because you can't just look at the points, right? Sure. Because there are... Like, we see it with... Uh, <laughs> I think we're seeing it even with the difference between the way Horvat's been valued around the league versus Miller. Mm. Because there's, don't get me wrong, there was still a lot of interest in Miller and you would have been able to get a good haul back. But the number of teams that were interested for Miller that, that were consistently brought up versus with Horvat is a pretty big difference. And I think yep. that, you know, that that's an understanding of, okay, there, it's more than just points, right? People, people think about fit. And with Kuzmenko, he does have a couple knocks against him in the fact that I'm sure teams will say, okay, he's been over in Europe. We've never seen this guy. His career high in games played because of his schedule over there is 58. So how is he going to look not only 82 games, but then if we're looking to make a cup run, another 20. Okay. Right? Like that's almost yep. double the sample of games that he's played in a season ever. Mm. Right? So it's a big ask. And we see when Pedersen came over initially, he had the second half slow down because he just wasn't used yeah. to the physical rigors of that 24 percent shooting percentage for Kuzmango second in the league yeah right for that so this is why I think you have to capital that's another point in like not resigning I was capitalizing right now yeah but anyway so I was gonna say like you are gonna have like those knocks against him so I'm, I'm not sure like I'm not like yeah 100 percent you'd be able to get a first round pick for him uh, I, I just, think there's I a possibility. Like Andrew Kopp got a first a second but and a roster a player, player. I understand that but you got to understand GM's like I get it. I know what you're saying. Ben, he's a playoff ben Chirot, type guy. Ben Sherratt went for like a first right. round, whatever, right? And it's just like he's not that great of a defenseman, but he checks certain boxes that teams look for. It's the same way with Cop. It's like he's got size, versatility, center wing. Um, he's excellent defensively, utility, like a lot of experience, character guy. You know, like I it's just, just like, I, I hear second round pick, and I'm like, okay, Jeremy Lozon went for a second round pick last year at the deadline. He had one goal in 53 games. How the hell is he going to be as? Though. But it's like, how can he be as important? Because he's in the same. He's like people view him as Ben Sherratt light. I get it. I get I it. Hate, it doesn't I just, make sense. It drives it me crazy sense. that that thought can be out there. But I understand where you're coming from. Is that that can be out there from people for sure. All right. Are we done? I think so. I think Aaron's going to be mad at us in our post-show uh, meeting here with how far we've gone. But I hope people on YouTube have been happy. It's a good. It's been a great week on the show. Uh, I'm excited for what we're going to have uh, on Monday as well. I'm sure there's going to be a lot to talk about. Uh, Harm, anything uh, fun and exciting for you coming up at The Athletic? I'm sure there's probably something you could write about it. Yeah, so I'm going to have... Uh, you, t- I just saw a league story of yours as well pop up on my feed too. Yeah, just I, yesterday I earlier think. I earlier this week I did something on uh, top ten most uh, improved players. But uh, yeah, that was a good. All right. Tomorrow I'm uh, I'm going to be doing uh, a story on uh, the Horvat trade situation, potential contenders, trade value, that sort of thing. So Saturday morning that's going to be up. A lot of deadline related coverage. I'm prepping for talk it, so <laughs> I'm going to make sure I'm ready to go. Is uh, it if that's announced like when and that's announced yeah um so we're we're locked and loaded got a lot of deadline stuff that we're planning with Drance. so excited awesome. to feed the feed the beast feed the connects fans <laughs> they need content they deserve content yeah what do they have to talk about now anyways it's got to be uh harman dial articles over there at the athletic well, all, of our, all of our articles. all of them all good stuff all right we'll wrap it up there incredible week from everyone in the chat here uh, i know we saw a record number of listeners earlier in the week uh, we've seen that number keep up throughout the youtube thank you so much everyone uh for coming by and, and being involved in the show i so loyal it is so much better like i know we've made this adjustment to youtube for the whole season now it's been five months four months at this point like it's days like this and it's a week like this where I'm like, it is so much better. This is so much yeah. better. And I know that people that are just listening on the podcast, there's still way more of you guys listening on the podcast. There is the YouTube, but I love being able to include this YouTube live chat from people. If you don't know, and you're just a podcast listener, uh, we're live Monday to Friday at one o'clock here, uh, Pacific time. Please come by the chat if you ever get a chance to do it. We'd love to hear some some people that aren't normally in the YouTube chat that are just podcast listeners. If you get an opportunity, come swing by at 1 o'clock. We'd love to see you in the chat here. Everybody have a great weekend. 
uh, back-to-back Canucks games. I didn't even mention we got two Abbotsford games as well. So if things go real south, I'll keep you up with the clips up there on Twitter from Abbotsford. We got a lot to talk about on Monday. I didn't even get to some news that I wanted to report, but we'll get all that on Monday. Uh, thank you so much to everyone for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed the uh, the bonus overtime here with Harm. Uh, I know that Harm's going to be like underneath the camera. He keeps doing this towards me. I know he wants <laughs> all that stacks coming. So uh, we'll get you paid, Harm. Don't worry about it. But uh, wrapping it up, another week coming at you Monday. Five more shows. Thank you so much to everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 